Good morning. Uh, so thankful that you are joining us in worship this morning. My name is Nicholas Gonzalez and I'm the associate pastor here at St. Andrew. And I am so excited for worship today. And uh, just a couple of announcements. Just want to remind you that ministry continues to happen here at St. Andrew. So I invite you to please check out our website, mystandrew.org, to find out all of the happenings and goings-ons here at St. Andrew. And I pray a blessing on your worship this morning. As we begin, we do so in the name of our triune God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Together, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we confess our sins before God as we seek His mercy and forgiveness. Let us pray. Almighty God, we confess to You all of our sins and iniquities. We have fallen short of Your glory and despised Your ways. We have sinned against You in our thoughts, words, and actions. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, and we justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. Have mercy on us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, so that by the power of your Holy Spirit we may live in newness of life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In his great mercy, God promises that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgives us all of our sins. Therefore, as a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Hear the reading of the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning at the 21st verse. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world, but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Hi everyone. You know what this is, don't you? It's a cross. When we see people, churches, or art, we will often see a cross. Some people hang crosses on the wall. Some people wear them as jewelry. And some have them on keychains. We see crosses all around us. So what comes to your mind when you see a cross? The cross can remind us of three things. First, the cross reminds us of God's love. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross and save us from our sins. The cross also reminds us of God's promises. Because Jesus died and rose again, we have the promise of eternal life with him. Finally, the cross reminds us of God's presence. Jesus made a way for us to have a relationship with God. Because of the cross, we get to experience the peace, hope, and joy that only he can bring. Jesus says that Christians must take up their cross and follow him. This means that wherever we go and whatever we do, we are called to carry our cross and shine the light of Jesus. Let's fold our hands, bow our heads, and say a prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for your amazing love, everlasting promises, and peaceful presence. When we see the cross, remind us of who you are and help us to carry our cross so that we may follow you. We love you so much. In your name we pray, amen. There have been a few times over the years when I have either led or been part of a Bible study or a discussion when the question has come up, who besides Jesus do you like the best in the Bible or who do you most identify with? And I know Pastor Nick mentioned that in a slightly different way last week, but most of the time my answer to that question is Peter the fisherman. Who, as you know, if you worshiped online or in person last week, made that great statement that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, and he evoked a great blessing on the part of Jesus, who even gave Simon the fisherman a new name and called him Peter, or Petros in Greek, which means stone or rock. 
and promised that he would build his church on the foundation of faith that was solid as a rock like that. Well, there have also been a few times over the years, as some of you know, when I have taken an instrument called the Myers-Briggs Personality Type Indicator, which puts all of our personalities into one of 16 different categories, each one expressed by four different letters. And so you are either uh, an E or an I, an extrovert or an introvert, or you're either an N or an S, meaning that you're intuitive in your thinking or that you're more sensing and take things kind of at face value as they come. Or then you're either a, a T or an F, you're a thinking person or a feeling person, which is to say that you make decisions uh, thoughtfully and intellectually or maybe you're one of those people who has gut reactions instead. And then finally, you're either a P or a J, meaning you're either a perceiver or a judger, which is not to say that you're judgmental, just that you make decisions and take positions and tend to stick with them if you're a judger. But if you're a perceiver, you may take a position or make a decision and then change it depending on the circumstances or new information that may happen to come your way. Well, with all of that in mind, it turns out that I happen to be an ENFP, an extrovert, intuitive, feeling, perceiving person, which apparently represents about 7% of the total population. In fact, uh, when the guy who administered this test uh, to me several years ago gave me the results, he said, uh, Mark, I think there's a chance that about half of your congregation thinks that you're a little too conservative. And then the other half thinks that you're a little too liberal, uh, which is interesting. And that's another discussion, although one of the nicknames that has been given to an ENFP like me is the campaigner because we tend to like big projects and we, we tend to look at them with a lot of hope and a lot of possibility, which I think is probably a good thing. On the other hand, ENFPs are known to be easily distracted. They can appear to be wishy-washy at times. They do like the big picture, but they don't like the details quite as much. And one of their mottos is ready, fire, aim. An ENFP can be found on the dance floor even if they can't dance. They like to read between the lines of a conversation and they are often known for speaking before they think which doesn't come, sound quite as good to me. Recently, I asked Pastor Nick if he knew what his personality type was, and he said, I think I'm an ENFP, which is to say, heaven help you if you have two of them in the same conversation. Well, the reason I say all of this and explain it as I do is that when the experts placed a connection between every one of those 16 personality types and one character from the Bible, the person who turned out to be the best example of an ENFP is Peter, the fisherman who I most identify with. And on one hand, I think that's maybe a good thing. If you think back on that passage from last week from Matthew 16, where he declares that Jesus is the Messiah and he takes his place as a leader in that infant church. But then if you read on in Matthew 16, as we just did today, you might have to think again because we find that the one who called Peter the rock is now calling Peter Satan. He's really letting him have it for his impulsive reaction for speaking before he thinks about his own big idea 
instead of about the plan of God. Well, it turns out that in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus spends a lot of time preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. In other words, about the grace of God that has come into the world in a whole new way through him and through his ministry and message. But right here in Matthew 16, there's this dramatic turning point, a sudden shift of gears where Jesus talks about the road to Jerusalem, about the pathway of suffering and sacrifice and even death on a cross. And that for Peter represents a kind of spiritual whiplash. And he responds by saying to Jesus, I really don't want to hear that. He says to Jesus, Lord, that is not going to happen to you. And that statement elicits not a blessing, but rather a curse on the part of Jesus who says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Or today he might have said, back off. You're impulsively focused on your own big ideas instead of the plan of God for the salvation of the world. Another way that might help to understand what Jesus is saying in this passage comes from the fact that the word for Satan in the Greek New Testament is the word diabolos, which is also translated devil and where we get a word like diabolical. In the Hebrew Old Testament, the word means accuser or tempter. And the story goes that in the ancient empires of Persia, the kings would sometimes send their representatives out into the population undercover for the expressed purpose of tempting people through a conversation or a bribe or some other means to commit an act of disloyalty to the king. It was like a, a, a test or like a sting operation. And if they succeeded, then the king would have that person executed and a reward would be given to the tempter who was known back then as a satrap, which is where we get the word Satan. And so people knew that these satraps, these Satans were everywhere embedded into the population, but they didn't know who they were. But they didn't have to worry about it because the Satans had no power over them as long as they were loyal to the king. And so with all that in mind, what Jesus is saying when he calls Peter Satan is get behind me, don't tempt me to get off this road of service and sacrifice and suffering for the redemption of this world. Don't tempt me to sell out for the sake of personal popularity or, or worldly power, for the sake of something that is only serving me and not the world that I came to save. Just like the real Satan tempted Jesus earlier in the Gospel of Matthew to do the very same thing to which Jesus responded by standing squarely on the word of God alone. And so, at the end of the day, Peter, the one Jesus called the rock, who really got it right in last week's passage in Caesarea Philippi, turns out that he really got it wrong more often than not. Like 
in the very next chapter when they go to the top of a high mountain and Peter wants to build these three dwelling places and stay there, but learns that the focus is really not on what he could do for God, but what, on God, what God was doing through Jesus for the world. Or in the chapter after that, when the, the topic was forgiveness and Peter really thought he got it right, and yet he missed it again. And I'll be preaching about that in a couple of weeks from now. Or then there was that night when Jesus was arrested and Peter commits an act of violence in the Garden of Gethsemane, which made Jesus very, very unhappy. And then there is maybe the worst memory that we have of all, and that happened even later that evening when the one who called Jesus the Messiah denies even knowing Jesus at all. Do I really want this guy to be my type? And is it any wonder with all of that in mind that Jesus would have said to Peter, get behind me, Satan? Not just because Peter was impulsive, not because uh, he spoke without thinking, and even because he was ultimately disloyal to his king, but also because Jesus knew better than anybody how much Peter and people like him needed him to be first in line to that cross for his forgiveness, for his freedom, for his reconciliation, for his restoration, so that he could then respond to the great sacrifice, to the servant of all, to the one who gave his love on that cross so that Peter and all those who would come after him could pick up their crosses and walk on that road of service and sacrificial love for the hope of this world to the glory and the praise of Jesus. And so at the end of the day, it all goes to show you one very important thing that if you believe this, it'll change your life. And that has to do with the fact that every time Peter got it wrong, Jesus made it right. He did not give up on him. He did not leave him. How many times did Peter deny Jesus before the crucifixion? Three times. I don't know him. I I don't know him. I told you, I do not know him. And then how many times did Jesus restore Peter and put him back into his ministry after the resurrection? Three times, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Even in the gospel of Luke, when Peter messed it up again and he looks at Jesus and he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Jesus refused. He did not depart. And instead he said, no, you follow me and I'll make you fish for people. You get behind me and follow me in the way of the cross, and I'm gonna make it possible for you to lose your attachment to this world because you found a whole new way of life in me. And so after Easter, Peter the fisherman, who got it wrong more than he got it right, he was the one who baptized that first Gentile and he took the Christian faith beyond the house of Israel and into the rest of the world. He is the one who defended his actions to those who really didn't want to hear it, at least not yet. And he was the one who lived and who died as a servant of Jesus. 
It was a blessed life for him. And it can still be a blessed life for you and for me, no matter how many times you got it wrong or I acted like I didn't even know him. And so the good news for me and maybe Pastor Nick is that we can identify with Peter the fisherman. And the bad news for us is that we can identify with Peter the fisherman. But even if he doesn't happen to be your type, I hope and pray that his story will inspire you to walk by faith, to be obedient to the king, not because you're afraid of losing your life or you're terrified of him, but because you found your life in him. So go out there and watch out for Satan. He's out there ready to tempt you, but don't worry about him because he can't harm you. He has no power over you when you're obedient to the king. And if by chance you do get it wrong, as he did, as I have, then go back to Jesus. Who will be there for you? Listen to his voice saying, you're precious, you're honored in my sight, you're my child, and I love you. Follow me, feed my sheep, be an agent for healing and for justice in this world that, as you know from the news, is still badly broken and in need of healing and restoration and justice in the grace of God as we proclaim the good news of his kingdom of grace. Follow him, feed his sheep, and know that come what may, whoever you are, he is with you when you get it right and even when you get it wrong. God bless you and give you a good safe week in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Together, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we join in the confession of Christians all around the world for generation upon generation as we confess our common Christian faith found in the words of the Apostles' Creed. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He had descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Together, church, we join our hearts and minds in prayer as we pray for the church, the world, and for all of creation, trusting in God to hear us as we call. Lord God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Through the sacrifice of your son on the cross, we are promised forgiveness and grace. Give us strength to bear our cross and constantly walk in your ways. Help us to resist the temptation of glory in this world and instead lead us to the glory of everlasting life. And may we recognize in ourselves and in one another the unique gifts you have given to us for the building up of the church for the sake of the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of all nations, you call us to live peaceably with all. Give us ears to hear one another, even those we name as enemies. Fill all leaders with mercy and understanding that they advocate and genuinely care for those who are poor and most vulnerable in their communities. And help us as your people to bring reconciliation and restoration to our communities by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gracious God, you are the great physician and the Lord of life. Be with those who are suffering from illness and ailments of body and soul. Give those who suffer a strong sense of presence and love. Accompany those who are uncertain and raise spirits of those who are despairing and heal the sick according to your good and gracious will. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, you promise to watch over your people and protect them from all harm and danger. We lift up all of our brothers and sisters to the West, dealing with all kinds of troubles caused by the wildfires. And we ask that you are watching over all of our neighbors in the areas down south that have been damaged by the hurricanes and storms. Keep them safe during these times. We give thanks for those who have opened their homes and churches to provide protection and care during this hour of need. And we ask that you continue to be with those in the coming days that as they seek to restore their communities, Lord, you would fill them with strength and comfort, knowing that you are with them during this time. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, drive out the hatred and injustice in our world. Give comfort to those who mourn and are suffering because of the evil of this world and help us to carry out your mission of loving our neighbor and uniting people of every race and every nation, so that when your glory is revealed, all flesh shall see it together, just as you have proclaimed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, into your hands we commit all for who and for what we pray, trusting in you as we pray together the family prayer of the church. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.